please find, uh, please find Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. I want to tell you my soul has been fed this week by God as I have meditated upon Romans chapter 8 verse 1. It's one of the high points of scripture and praise God for granting us such wonderful gospel truth and by his grace we get to savor that truth together today. I want to ask you if you're able to stand with me. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. Four verses. We'll be focusing on verse 1 today. I always like to remind us this is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God. It's our privilege to read it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your presence, Lord, and we pray by your spirit, through your word, that you would have your way in our hearts today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, Those who are justified will never be condemned by God. Today what I want us to think about is what it means to have no condemnation. What it means to have no condemnation and then what blessing God gives as a result. Next week, we're going to see the reason why we have no condemnation today, what it means, and the blessing it brings. Now, if you look at Romans 8, 1 from every angle, it is life-changing and it is joy-inspiring. I want you for just a moment, though, uh, to really go wide-angle lens with me on the entire chapter, Romans 8. If you were shipwrecked on a desert island... And you could only have one chapter of the Bible with you, which one would you choose? A lot of people would choose Romans 8. We have rebels in third hour. Many consider Romans 8 the the greatest chapter in the Bible. One has called it the mountain peak of scripture. Another has said it is the chapter of chapters for the Christian believer. Another said if the Bible was a ring and the letter of Romans a precious stone, then Romans 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Another said Romans 8 is a rhapsody on assurance. But there is a tragic truth about Romans 8. Romans 8 is the favorite passage of many believers, and many believers don't live Romans chapter 8. We love the beauty, we love the victory of Romans 8, But we want to skip the struggle, we want to skip the heartache of Romans chapter 6 and 7. And I've said this in previous weeks, but you cannot live Romans 8 until you grasp the struggle of Romans chapter 6 and 7. The joy and the victory of Romans 8 rests on the battle with sin that we see in Romans 6 and 7. 
Now, some people will get through Romans 7, and they'll say, hey, this is so awesome. I'm done with Romans 7. I get to go into Romans 8. It's like coming to this, the foot of a majestic mountain after going through a, a barren, dry desert. And, and that would be a mistake, okay? It, this is more a celebration of spirit-led worship after Paul gives four Christ-centered confessional complaints. You want to take Romans 7 in a nutshell, it taught us that Christians are united with Christ to bear fruit for him. We are free in Christ to serve God's purposes. But a battle with sin remains. And we know this battle very well. We see it every day. And so we must trust in Christ. There is never a moment in your Christian life when you can just say, you know, I'm going to trust in myself from here on out. Or I'm just going to trust in myself for a while. Give God a rest. You know, I'm too, I'm too uh, troublesome to, to look, watch over. I'm just going to do this myself. No, you've got to trust in Christ the whole time. We're depraved sinners. Paul says in, in chapter 7, I do what I hate. We all know what that's like. We know we delight in God's law. In fact, Paul says, I can't do the good I want to do. I can't do the good I want to do. And we are distressed in these earthly bodies. He says, I am captive. We are downcast due to our sin. He says, I am wretched. We are delivered, though, and will be delivered by Jesus. So when Paul asks, who will finally deliver me? The comfort comes when you hear that word, Jesus. When you hear that name, the name above every name. Until then, though, until then, the battle rages. You're delivered by Jesus from your sins, but you're still struggling with sin. You will one day be finally and fully delivered by Jesus from the presence of sin. But as it is now, as it stands, you have got to strap on the armor of God. You've got to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And make sure you apply the protective heat shield that God provides. The battle with sin within is real, folks. And we all know it. No one needs to tell us. We know it. But we also know that Jesus delivers. So verse 25 of chapter 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God for what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do. Victory in Jesus, my Savior, my Lord forever. But isn't it mind-blowing to think about Romans 7 and go, wow, <laughs> we are simultaneously sinful and we're being sanctified as believers. That's mind-blowing. A friend of mine just said this week, it makes my head hurt. Romans 7 makes your head hurt. But mercifully, Romans 8 comforts your heart. Romans 8 comforts your heart. The battle with sin makes your head hurt. But Romans brings comfort, and I want you to experience that comfort today. I want you to look at verse 1 with me now. In macro, okay, big picture, take the whole sentence, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a bold announcement. And the reason why it's a bold announcement is because it is big news. Never was there a greater runway for a gospel takeoff. It rivals Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it eclipses it in sheer startling magnitude. This is headline news. No condemnation. It is an all-encompassing blast off, and it, it, it achieves cruising altitude very quickly, immediately. 
is a lead up to an unparalleled announcement. It is bulletproof. It is airtight. It is absolute. This is a victorious amplification of gospel pronouncement. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is firsthand Holy Spirit inspired assurance aimed at regenerate hearts. So if you're a Christian today, this is for you. This is a love note from God. This is mercy. This is a display of, of sheer unadulterated grace. This is, this is proof of absolution. This is, this is the opening note of God's magnum opus. This is a magnanimous gesture of goodwill. This is God's proof of purchase. This is the believer's emancipation proclamation. This is a word from the king that is beyond dispute. It's beyond dispute. Look with me at verse 1 now in micro. We're going to break it down word for word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those justified will never be condemned by God. We see what it means to not be condemned. We see that our status has been sovereignly decreed. That's the first thing we'll see. And then we see, secondly, that it has been providentially orchestrated. Third, we see that it's been legally declared. And fourth, it's eternally secured. Our status as not condemned has been sovereignly decreed by God. And it has been providentially orchestrated. And it has been legally declared and it has been eternally secured. This is our standing, this is our status as believers in Christ. Our no condemnation status. It has been first sovereignly decreed. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 tells us that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I love it how Romans 8 just beautifully begins with no condemnation and it beautifully ends with no separation, all because of God's love. Look at the first three words. There is therefore. What is the therefore referring to? Now, let's just say you wake up one day, and you, let's just say you're not a believer, but you say, I want to read the Bible. I want to score some points with God. And so you start reading in Romans, and you get through to chapter 7 to the end, and I think it would be very easy to conclude that a depraved sinner who fights a constant battle with indwelling sin would still be in a state of condemnation. And you get to Romans 8 and, and you're like, whoa, whoa, how can there be no condemnation? I just read that this person is, is kind of on shaky ground. And you start thinking to yourself, you know, somehow their salvation must be in question. And so if you're judging on man's terms, that would probably make sense. You know, it's up in the air. There's no sentence yet, but we're going to see how the behavior improves. We're going to wait for the midterm behavior report. We're going to wait for the report card. And the answer to that idea, that thought is no. That is not the message of Romans 8.1. God's salvation economy runs on different currency. Our status has been sovereignly decreed. It's like an unquestioned edict from the king. Therefore, therefore, 
usually refers to the verses immediately before it. Here, what it does, it prefaces the life-altering results of Paul's teaching in the first seven chapters. Therefore, it is based on Romans chapters 1 all the way through chapter 7. It's the result or the consequence of the truths taught so far. This is the great conclusion of Romans 1 through 7. Paul's teaching in the first seven chapters could be summarized by justification is by faith alone, based on God's grace alone. Now you know Romans is about righteousness. We say it all the time. It's on our sermon notes even. Romans is about righteousness. It is about God's righteousness revealed in the gospel through faith in Christ. You look through the first four chapters of Romans and it indicts the entire human race under sin and then you get to chapter 3 and and you realize that only the finished work of Christ in our place can save us and you look at the first four chapters and you're like that's about believing the gospel that's about believing the truth you look at chapters 5 through 8 and you go that's about resting in the gospel truth that's about resting that's about how the unashamed those who are unashamed of the gospel are now uncondemned by God for their sin. This is good news. Romans 8.1 is the great conclusion of Romans 1-7. through 7. It has been sovereignly decreed. And you read about that sovereign decree all through the first seven chapters. But it has also been providentially orchestrated. 1 Peter 1 tells us that God causes those he has chosen to be spiritually alive. And they, and they are given an irrevocable and imperishable inheritance. And, and we read in the New Testament that at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And we also know that at the right time Christ draws them to himself. And so look at the word now in verse 1. The word now. What time frame is being referenced? Well, take a wild guess. The present. <laughs> Right now, you experience this right now. God has providentially orchestrated your life. And you think about your life before you were a believer. And, you, and then you think about the day that you came to faith in Christ. And you're like, wow, I never could have planned that out. There is no way that I could have said, you know, on this day I'm going to come to faith in Christ. You know, I'm going I'm to live like hell, then I'm just going to, you know, one day just, this is going to happen. You would never guess. You could never orchestrate. You could never plan this out. Now, presently, you experience it now. The benefit was yours from the moment you were born again. S. Lewis Johnson said it this way, the now is temporary, it's temporal, but it's not only that. It's not only right this very moment. It's not as if someone is saying, you know, I really thank God that I'm saved up to the present moment. And somehow... The future is in question. No. What is implied in the word now here are two realities. First, fully now, right now, in Christ, you are experiencing being not condemned. But also, now and forever. Now and forever. You've got the fully now. Galatians 3.13 told us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, a mediator, a substitute. A redeemer came into the world to bear our sin and be our condemnation bearer. But also now and forever. You go to the end of Romans 8 and you see in verses 33 and 34, who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
at the final judgment. Who is going to bring a charge against God's elect that will reverse his verdict? It says that God is the one who justifies. So who's the one who condemns? Well, Christ Jesus is he who died. There's assurance for the believer. Christians are called, they're forgiven, they're adopted, they're beloved, they're protected, they're loved, they're kept, they're indwelt by the Spirit, they're owned, they're freed, they're changed, declared righteous, made new, not judged, not sentenced, not forgotten, not forsaken, not rejected by God. You know, the first sign of trouble, God doesn't say, well, you know what? You didn't measure up. You're not under a curse. In Christ, you're not under a curse. Jesus took your curse. You're no longer under sin's power as a believer. You are no longer enslaved. You are no longer dead. You are no longer indebted. You are no longer entrapped. And it was true about you from the moment of your new birth. And it was orchestrated like an elaborate plan. It's like a math problem. You got a math problem there on the wall. There's one out front. It gives me a headache just looking at it. Some of you can maybe solve that, but it looks pretty elaborate to me, and I couldn't work it out. And you look at your life, and you realize that providentially, God orchestrated you coming to faith in Christ and putting you in to a no-condemnation status. I want you also to notice in verse 1, the verse we're looking at today, the word no. Look at the word no. The first word in the Greek of this verse is no. That's how it starts. The Greek starts with no. It emphasizes in the strongest way possible that there is no condemnation. This is not you telling your kids, you know, no, you can't have a cookie. This is no, you can't ever have one, and you will never have one, okay? This is no, it's never going to happen. This, this is using the strongest no possible in the, in the Greek language. There is no condemnation, none at all, ever for the believer in Christ Jesus. God wants us to, to grasp this truth. It's been sovereignly decreed. It's been providentially orchestrated. And it's also been legally declared the third thing we see here is it'll be, it's, it's been legally declared. Look at those words, no condemnation. What does it mean? What does it mean, no condemnation? A lot of people think, well, I think that means that Christians never feel guilty when sinning. I don't feel condemned when I sin. That, that's not what it means. You know, then you've got to ask the question, why do I feel condemned when I sin? Why do I feel convicted of my sin? Why do others condemn me for my sin? love first john even if our heart condemns us god is greater than our hearts and knows all things condemnation here means something different it means something else condemnation means judgment punishment destruction it means verdict and the consequence it's 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 the idea if you're condemned it's the idea of god sentencing to hell all who deny christ it's it exists condemnation exists because sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59.2 says, your sins, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. Greek word for condemnation is katakrima. It's used only three times in the New Testament, all in Romans. Romans 5.16, Romans 5.18, and here in chapter 8, verse 1. In the context, what it means is the, the punishment 
following the sentence. That's what condemnation means. Basic meaning of this word katakrima. It means to separate. It means to judge. It means to pronounce sentence against someone. And it's a legal term. It's a legal term, and this is significant, it's a legal term that means the opposite of justification. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. It was used only in court proceedings, it was used only in legal proceedings, of a criminal rightly condemned to death for his crimes. He was given a guilty verdict, and the consequences the verdict calls for. Condemnation results in, in the sentence, okay? It, it, this is relating to the sentencing for a crime. And the focus is not so much on the verdict, it's on the consequences. So no condemnation means you're not getting the consequences your sins deserve. Jesus took those consequences at the cross. That's what no condemnation means. Go over to John 3. John chapter 3. And everybody knows, you know, John 3.16, right? At least we think they do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Before I was a believer, I did not know John 3.16 all the way through. Don't, don't assume everyone knows that verse. But I want you to see the verse after that. John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to Judge the world. It's the Greek word krino. It's, it's, it's the root of katakrino. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That literally means, when it says not condemned, that that, that person who believes is absolutely not condemned ever. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you're, not a, if you're not a believer today, you're under a sentence of condemnation. Now in God's economy, you come to faith in Christ today, you will no longer be under the sentence of condemnation. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus Jesus said in John 5, 24, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Romans 10 tells us faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's true about a believer. You've passed from death to life. You're under no condemnation. So no condemnation is courtroom language. It's, it's the idea that you've been found innocent of accusation. No sentence inflicted. No guilty verdict found. By God's grace, you will not face God's condemnation. We have passed from death to life. This is like an adoption declaration. Parents adopt a child, and this child is declared to be your child. In your family. Part of your family. No condemnation for those in Christ. This means the devil really was defeated at the cross. This really means that freedom was truly won at the cross for those in Christ. This spells doom for any power that would accuse or try to harm God's people. You can't mess with God's verdict. At the final judgment, no one can make a judgment against God's elect stick. No one will have a case against you. Now here on earth, you commit a crime, 
you have a case against you. Here's what believers know. That even if believers commit a crime and they will need to face the just penalties, humanly speaking, for their crime, that the penalty for that crime will not keep them out of, out of heaven. It will not keep them out of God's no condemnation status. See, you want to be more concerned about the eternal than you do about the temporal. You, you want to try not to get in trouble here on earth. But you sure don't want to be in trouble in heaven. No sin a believer truly, uh, uh, that a true believer commits will, will, will be held against them. We're talking past, present, and future, folks. We're talking about the penalty being paid by Christ at the cross, and righteousness was credited to you, and because God's righteousness is credited to you, because you have been justified, there is no way you will ever be condemned. This is what God wants believers to know. When you read that opening sentence in Romans 8, that should bring you great, great comfort. It's been sovereignly decreed. No sin that you commit can ever reverse this God-given legal declaration. It's been providentially orchestrated, legally declared, and it's been eternally settled. Look at the last phrase of verse 1. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's eternally settled. If you're in Christ, this is every true believer. Every true believer, to be in Christ means to be united with him. We've seen this in Romans already. You're, you're united with Christ. In Christ, you, are, you're, you were foreknown. You're predestined. You're called. You're justified. You're glorified. Romans 8, 29. And your, your no condemnation status is rooted in Christ. Rooted in in your relationship with him. It is a place of safety. It is a place of security. In Christ Jesus, security of eternal life that cannot be stolen or lost. This is like a lifetime guarantee, but it's eternal. It's eternal, and it won't get revoked. If you're a believer today, you are safe from the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, which is being revealed already against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Romans 1, 18 and 19. We've talked so much about the law, and the law was also known as a ministry of death. It was also known as a ministry of condemnation. 2 Corinthians 3. The law brought condemnation. The law exposed our sin. The law exposed the consequence of our sin, death. The law judged us as condemned. Uh, there was a guilty verdict. It pointed out our sin. It, it should drive us to Christ. The law is our tutor to lead us to Christ, to show our need of a Savior. To know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that judgment will fall. Condemnation means judgment will fall on someone. And Paul is saying quite significantly to every believer, God's judgment will never, ever, not now or ever, fall on you. Christ took your punishment. You're not condemned. Romans 5.16 says the judgment following one, one sin brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses, many sins, brought justification. 
Again, the opposite. Justification and condemnation are opposites. If you're in Christ, you have justification, not condemnation. Our position forever. Our position forever is no condemnation in Christ. Romans 4, 7 says, Blessed is the one whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered, covered by the blood of Christ. It says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will not take into account because God has now credited Christ's righteousness to you. So there's not some big account of debt. There's no decree against you anymore. And if you're worried about your eternal security today, as many Christians are, they're worried about their eternal security. Romans 8, 1 is for you. You need, to, you need to let the word of Christ in Romans 8, 1 dwell in you richly, so richly that you appreciate and appropriate that in Christ Jesus you are safe and secure now and forever. This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to know that it has been eternally settled. That there is no condemnation and there is no separation and there will be no separation because of the love of God towards you in Christ. That the last judgment verdict will be uncondemned. Justified, delivered, saved from the wrath of God, declared righteous before God, and it was decided at the cross. This is not in question, folks. This is not something where you go, well, when I get there, I sure hope God lets me in. This has been decided at the cross. It was decreed sovereignly. It was orchestrated providentially. It was declared legally. It was secured eternally. God made a way for for those he calls to be saved. It's called the gospel, the good news, the power of God for salvation. And it's true now and it's true forever. It's just true now and it's true forever. If you're a Christian today, your no condemnation status has been, has been settled. And there are mounds of blessing. There are plenty of Plenteous blessings that get poured out on you because of your no condemnation status. I'm going to point out four. Number one, acceptance with God. Number two, assurance of salvation. Number three, freedom to serve God. And number four, hope that does not disappoint. Hope that will not put you to shame. You have acceptance in Christ, assurance, freedom, and hope. Because of your no condemnation status. Acceptance. Think about it with me. Acceptance means not being rejected. You're not required to add to this equation by doing good works to gain more acceptance with God. If you think you are, you're negating the gospel. You are, this is what you need to grasp, you are as accepted now as you ever will be. All of grace. This is like paying off the mortgage and not having a bill anymore. This is like this full membership. Paul David Tripp put it this way. He says, when a bill is paid, it's paid. 
Nothing you add to it will make it more paid. So it is with our acceptance, with our forgiveness and present standing before God. Jesus paid the price, and our obedience doesn't pay anything toward what has already been fully paid. Why are you trying to pay what's already been paid? we call that foolishness, wouldn't we? This week I was looking for the, the Old Testament equivalent for Romans 8.1. I'm like, what's the verse in the Old Testament that matches up with Romans 8.1? And I, I, I found it yesterday. I was, it was right before my very eyes. I was reading it. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Give comfort to my people, says God. They're accepted. They're forgiven. And that should give us great assurance. We are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Christ. Therefore, we should have assurance. We should have assurance of that. You, you should know this. If you know you're not, you're not condemned, then you should know you have assurance in Christ. This is the greatest assurance ever. No condemnation is the greatest assurance. Even though you battle sin, even though you're struggling every day, no one who is justified in Christ will be condemned. You have to take that to the bank. You have to put that in your heart. You have to believe it if you're a Christian. You have to tell yourself the truth. When the lies come flying at you, you've got to tell yourself the truth. I am not condemned. I have assurance. There is no record God is keeping of my past wrongs. There is no 11th hour surprise that's going to disqualify me. There is no hidden secret uncovered causing my acceptance to be revoked. There's no loophole that will be found by my opponents that can cause a reversal. There is no new evidence that can overturn God's verdict. Salvation in Christ is fully assured and completely guaranteed for those in Christ. This is like the best certificate of authenticity you could ever get. When Angela and I were married, June 1st, 1991, I gave her a ring. It had diamond in it. Diamond right there in the middle, you know. And uh, what happened, early 90s, uh, mid-90s, something happened where the, the diamond fell out. And the diamond got lost. We, we never found the diamond. And so at the time, I'm like, you know, we might need to put a fake diamond in there before we can afford a real diamond again. And so we put a, a CZ in there. We put a cubic zirconia. It was not expensive, and it was not a real diamond. And uh, for... for, for Quite a number of years, no one else knew, but we knew. <laughs> but then at one point in time, I said, you know, we need to get you a real diamond. We're going to bite the bullet. And so I bought this diamond. We went and looked and bought this diamond. And this diamond came with a certificate of authenticity, a, a GIA certified. Gemological Institute of America said, this is real, and you're going to pay for it. Well, here's what God is saying to you if you're a Christian. This is real, and Jesus paid for it. He paid for it at the cross. Your assurance is settled. No condemnation. The greatest assurance a heart transformed by Jesus could ever hear. You are bought with Christ's precious blood. You are fully accepted. You are fully protected by Jesus. If you are justified in Christ, you will never be condemned by God. Your status was Sovereignly decreed, legally 
declared. It was eternally secured. It was providentially orchestrated by God in his perfect timing. And you have these blessings of, 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 of acceptance with God, of assurance. And, and, and then it leads you to know that you have freedom. You have freedom. If you know that you are not now or ever will be condemned, you know, you go, wow, I'm free to serve God's purposes right now where I'm at. I am not held back. I'm free to serve God's purposes for such a time as this. In every moment you find yourself. As he providentially orchestrates things, I, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve God's purposes as he gives me strength. I am not condemned by God. I am free then. I'm free to be merciful. I'm free to, to not judge unfairly. I am free. Even if people condemn me, I'm free. If I'm not condemned, I have no business condemning anyone else. Remember the guy that Jesus talked about that was forgiven a huge debt and couldn't let a small thing go? Think about when someone does something for you that you know you could never pay back. About 15 or 20 years ago, someone did something like that for me, and I knew I could never pay them back. And besides just wanting to thank them, every time I saw them, I thought about them, thank God for them, it made me want to look for ways to bless other people in similar ways. If you think about a year in your life, if you think about a year in your life, and you go, wow, I have got 525,600 minutes. Just think about, just think about a day, okay? Just think about a day for a moment. If God should grant them to you, what would you do with your next 1,440 minutes? You're accepted in Christ. You're assured. That, that breeds a thankfulness in your heart. That breeds a, a kindness in your life. And, and you're like, I, I'm not going to evil speak anymore. I, I'm not going to judge anymore. I, I'm going to have discernment tempered with merciful love. You know, you're like, you know, you look around and you're like, we're all alike. All the people I'm judging, I'm like them too. We're in the same uh, serial sinners club. We're susceptible to the same things. We're, I, I'm guilty too. But that makes me more forgiving. Because I know that only Jesus can forgive sins. So I'm free to serve him. I'm free to serve God. And, and then I realize, wow, I'm accepted. I'm assured. I'm free. I have hope. I have hope. Hope doesn't disappoint. Hope is an anchor. I can rest in Christ realistically knowing, realistically knowing there are going to be consequences on earth for sins I commit. And I can rest in Christ realistically knowing that there's going to be crisis in my life that I really wouldn't choose. And I can rest in Christ realistically knowing that there's, there's going to be criticism. Because guess what? You look in Romans 7, and, and who's committing those sins? Sinners against other sinners. It's in the body of Christ. It's inside and outside of any part of life. You know, sinners are sinning against each other. But if you're in Christ, you're not condemned. And so, 
your eternal life is secure. And so, you can face anything in this life without fear. It's a perspective builder. It's a, it's a deep conviction builder. It's like a solid anchor that won't drift or break. All because of Jesus. You're accepted, you're assured, you're free, you're filled with hope. Praise God. But the sobering truth is that there are people who live with no hope. They have no hope. They need Jesus. Because no condemnation for those in Christ means there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ. Now, who would not want no condemnation? Only those held captive by Satan to do as well. Only those outside of Christ. Now, outside of Christ, every person is condemned along with the entire human race. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us if our gospel is hidden, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, and the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they would not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in Christ. Which means that if you're not a believer today, Satan does not want you to see the glory of Romans 8.1. Satan doesn't want you to see the light of the knowledge of God seen in the face of Christ. Satan doesn't want you to know the gospel. Satan wants you to keep rejecting the gospel. See, at the end of the day, every one of us is guilty and every one of us is worthy of condemnation. Let God be found true, let every man be a liar. Romans 3, and none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the world is being reserved for judgment. Now judgment to come will come by the word of God, just like creation came by the word of God, and just like the flood came by the word of God. And God will destroy the heavens and the earth by fire. And right now, the heavens are full of stars and comets and asteroids and satellites. The core of the earth is filled with flaming, boiling, liquid lake of fire, 12,400 degrees. And we are separated from the fiery core by a 10-mile crust. Say, thank you, Jesus, for the 10-mile crust. But the earth waits for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Rome, um, Revelation 20 tells us, as it describes the final judgment of unbelievers, which Jesus calls the resurrection of the condemnation, it says that it takes place between the end of the present universe and the creation of the new heavens and earth. And this is not fictional sci-fi, folks. This is real life in God's economy. And all unbelievers are under this sentence unless and until they turn to Christ. I love what Paul said to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that he was glad that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, and they are delivered by Jesus from the wrath to come. If you're not a believer today, you are not delivered by Jesus from the wrath to come, and your soul is under condemnation, and you need to turn to Christ and be saved. To believe that God is holy and man is sinful, and that Jesus took our place on the cross, and that he died and was buried and rose on the third day, and he's coming back. He's coming back 
for believers with blessing, coming back for unbelievers with condemnation. But if you're a believer, please know that God in Christ took your condemnation. He condemned your sin at the cross and you are sinful yet uncondemned. You can push through doubt and discouragement and despair with that knowledge. You know your true condition. You can do what God calls you to do. What does God call you to do? It's really simple. Love Jesus. Love everyone. And preach the gospel. Uh, seek the salvation of all who do not believe. Seek the sanctification of all who believe. Uh, we're not dealing in statistics here. We're dealing with real people that we see every day. And you cannot make anyone believe... Uh, you can plant and water seeds, but only God causes the growth. So you think about that little flower in your garden, the flower that you pass by every day. You can't make it open up for anything. You can water it, you can fertilize it, but you cannot make it open. Only God can open it up and make it bloom. And only God opens hearts to the gospel. I pray all the time that God would open up hearts to the gospel, that God would open up blind eyes, that they would believe. Um, and what we need to do is trust God and appeal to people to be reconciled to God and let God do the convicting work, let God do the saving work. Know that Jesus Christ delivers and saves and just praise God from whom all blessings flow. As you go out today, you're going to think, what should I do with this? And what God wants you to do is to know something that transforms your doing. Know that you're uncondemned, that you're accepted and assured and free and filled with hope, that you are destined one day to stand blameless in God's presence with great joy. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this, a soul that comes to the full realization that he ought to be in hell, but that in reality the Lord Jesus took his hell and that there is therefore now no condemnation for him because he is in Christ Jesus, is likely to be quite moved by the truth. I am hoping that your hearts would be moved by this truth today, that you would know it, that you would believe it, that you would live it, that you would think on it, that you would know with assurance that God's righteous wrath that condemns has been replaced in your life with his magnificent mercy. That all his ways and deeds towards you are merciful and that you believe that every day, that God is 100% for you with eternal loving kindness in Christ, and he is not against you, and you grasp the magnitude of that, and you live transformed. We are uncondemned in Christ. No one can undo this truth of Romans 8.1. And thank you, Lord, that that is true. Thank you, Lord, that no one can undo your truth. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us with eternal loving kindness. You are not against us. And Lord, may we, by your grace, grasp that magnitude of truth and live by your grace and for your glory in transformed lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
so starting tomorrow, this whole place will be filled with tons of kids and all their leaders and parents and everybody all week long. We need to be praying for that. I'll, as I close, I'll pray for Please find, uh, please find Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. I want to tell you my soul has been fed this week by God as I have meditated upon Romans chapter 8 verse 1. It's one of the high points of scripture. And praise God for granting us such wonderful gospel truth. And by his grace we get to savor that truth together today. I want to ask you, if you're able to stand with me, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, four verses. We'll be focusing on verse 1 today. And I always like to remind us this is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God. It's our privilege to read it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your presence, Lord, and we pray by your spirit, through your word, that you would have your way in our hearts today, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, those who are justified will never be condemned by God. Today what I want us to think about is what it means to have no condemnation. What it means to have no condemnation and then what blessing God gives as a result. Next week we're going to see the reason why we have no condemnation. But today, what it means and the blessing it brings. Now if you look at Romans 8.1 from every angle, it is life-changing and it is joy-inspiring. I want you for just a moment, though, uh, to really go wide-angle lens with me on the entire chapter, Romans 8. If you were shipwrecked on a desert island, and you could only have one chapter of the Bible with you, which one would you choose? A lot of people would choose Romans 8. We have rebels in third hour. Many consider Romans 8 the, the greatest chapter in the Bible. One has called it the mountain peak of scripture. Another has said it is the chapter of chapters for the Christian believer. Another said if the Bible was a ring and the letter of Romans a precious stone, then Romans 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Another said Romans 8 is a rhapsody on assurance. But there is a tragic truth about Romans 8. Romans 8 is the favorite passage of many believers, and many believers don't live Romans chapter 8. We love the beauty, we love the victory of Romans 8, but we want to skip the struggle, we want to skip the heartache of Romans chapter 6 and 7. 
And I've said this in previous weeks, but you cannot live Romans 8 until you grasp the struggle of Romans chapter 6 and 7. The joy and the victory of Romans 8 rests on the battle with sin that we see in Romans 6 and 7. Now, some people will get through Romans 7 and they'll say, hey, this is so awesome. I'm done with Romans 7. I get to go into Romans 8. It's like coming to this, the foot of a majestic mountain after going through a, a barren, dry desert. And, and that would be a mistake, okay? It, this is more a celebration of spirit-led worship after Paul gives four Christ-centered confessional complaints. You want to take Romans 7 in a nutshell, it taught us that Christians are united with Christ to bear fruit for him. We are free in Christ to serve God's purposes. But a battle with sin remains. And we know this battle very well. We see it every day. And so we must trust in Christ. There is never a moment in your Christian life when you can just say, you know, I'm going to trust in myself from here on out. Or I'm just going to trust in myself for a while. Give God a rest. You know, I'm too, I'm too uh, troublesome to, to look, watch over. I'm just going to do this myself. No, you've got to trust in Christ the whole time. We're depraved sinners. Paul says in, in chapter 7, I do what I hate. We all know what that's like. We know we delight in God's law. In fact, Paul says, I can't do the good I want to do. I can't do the good I want to do. And we are distressed in these earthly bodies. He says, I am captive. We are downcast due to our sin. He says, I am wretched. We are delivered, though, and will be delivered by Jesus. So when Paul asks, who will finally deliver me? The comfort comes when you hear that word, Jesus. <laughs> you hear that name, the name above every name. Until then, though, until then, the battle rages. You're delivered by Jesus from your sins, but you're still struggling with sin. You will one day be finally and fully delivered by Jesus from the presence of sin. But as it is now, as it stands, you have got to strap on the armor of God. You've got to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And make sure you apply the protective heat shield that God provides. The battle with sin within is real, folks. And we all know it. No one needs to tell us. We know it. But we also know that Jesus delivers. So verse 25 of chapter 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God for what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do. Victory in Jesus, my Savior, my Lord forever. But isn't it mind-blowing to think about Romans 7 and go, wow, <laughs> we are simultaneously sinful and we're being sanctified as believers. That's mind-blowing. A friend of mine just said this week, it makes my head hurt. Romans 7 makes your head hurt. But mercifully, Romans 8 comforts your heart. Romans 8 comforts your heart. The battle with sin makes your head hurt. But Romans brings comfort, and I want you to experience that comfort today. I want you to look at verse 1 with me now in macro. 